Hi, everybody. Today's episode is with Diane Barbarian. Her story, well, first of all, Diane is just awesome, and she's going to tell you why she's not, but she is incredible. In 2010, she's pretty much experienced one of the most terrifying things that I can think of personally, and that is beginning to lose her sight. And not only that, but she continued to do the sport of triathlon and continues to be very active um, in, in sports and in her life. And she just has the most incredible outlook and stories and personalities. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Diane. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day. And it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I am your host, Meredith Atwood. I have Diane Barbarian here with me. Hi, Diane. Hi, Meredith. Hi, everyone. What a pleasure. This is going to be so much fun. You are an incredible person. (laughs) (laughs) I like your laugh. I I get a little, well, I I get a little uncomfortable when people say that to me because I'm just me. And and that's how I've just always felt that whatever I do is just me. I don't do it for any attention or accolades. I mean... Um, so I, I get a little uncomfortable when I hear how awesome or inspirational, um, I read it, I understand it, but I tell everybody, I still put my shoes on the same as everybody else and race like every, well, no, I don't race like everybody else, but anyway, thank you. Okay, well, fine, Diane, you're very boring. You're unremarkable. I'm very boring. (laughs) But one thing I'm going to say real quick is that this is a tough act to follow when you, Inter- when you interview Mike Riley before me, and then I have to follow him. <laughs> I think so, knowing Mike as I know Mike, he would say it's the too. other way around. <laughs> I've known Mike for years, too. <laughs> oh, well, so let's get to know you a little bit. I, I do think okay. your story is fascinating. I think you're incredible despite what you say. I think you put your feet, Thank your you. shoes on the feet very specially. <laughs> so we're just going to say that. Um, okay. But let's start with your background and kind of how and you're okay. a triathlete and you're involved in triathlon and we'll get to yeah. how that's different yeah. than everyone else. But let's hear a little bit about your background and what it was like growing up for you. Growing up for me, I am originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a section of the city where in my world, not my sister's world, but I thought everybody was an athlete. So what a great place to live. Boys were athletes, girls were athletes. So I played four sports a year club. Um, I played high school volleyball. I played college softball uh, just for two years. Then I um, wanted to be more academic, so I stopped. But I still continued with club and recreational sports till I was about 28. Uh, then I moved to Florida and it was not as easy to find teams to play on. What I found was with this great sunshine in the state of Florida, I could run. And I was, main sport was a soccer player. So my love of running was, it it was a gift. Running is a gift to me. Uh, Clears my head, makes me feel happy, always makes me feel young. So that's when I started to run. That led to triathlon. Um, quickly led to Ironman. I did Ironman uh, probably within my first year of doing triathlons. Wow. Which some people say, like, that's crazy. But I always say, but I come from an endurance background. Right. So right. why that's the not? Kicker. Yeah. Correct. And so you how know, old were you I, with your first, how old were you when you started triathlon? Well, and when you did your first Ironman, since oh, it was like the same time. So I did my first Ironman in 1995. Okay. So how old were you? Then? And then I can't do that I, math. <laughs> ooh, I don't either. I think I was in my thirties. Okay. 30, okay. I think I was, as we say, I think I was in the 35 to 39 age group. Okay. Yeah. And which Ironman did you do? I did the great Floridian oh, as nice. my first Ironman. Very nice. Which to this day, I have five Ironmans under my belt. 
and I, I, I am confirmed retired from that distance. Uh, I always say that was my first, my fastest, uh, but the hardest, uh, especially for Florida, it, it had hills. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that was my, my fastest Ironman still. And I always say, when people say, why did you do more than one Ironman? And I said, I wanted to feel as good as I felt that day. Yes. That's why you go back. But we all know you can't, (laughs) you know, they, I mean, they feel different. They feel good in different ways, but I thought I would feel, and and I know this might sound smug. I, I thought it would be more challenged. I thought it would be harder and it wasn't. Yeah. And I know that sounds crazy, but it wasn't. Uh, my head was in the right place. My body was in the right place. And, uh, you know, it was the perfect storm. It was a beautiful day. That's awesome. So So when did triathlon become a little more challenging for you? The challenge, uh, 2010, and this is an even crazier story. So my vision started to change in 2006. And so now I'm obviously in my forties by now. And going to the eye doctor and saying, well, I guess, you know, this is age related changes, but it really wasn't. What kind of changes were they? Like, what did you notice? So at first, and and this is incredible because I think had I not been so active, I would have gone undiagnosed. Wow. And it would have just been treated as, Oh, you're getting old. So originally what would happen is, I'm, I'm biking and, you know, your bike computer is sitting in the center of your handlebars mm-hmm. and I would look down and, oh, okay, this how many miles, blah, blah, blah. And then I picked my head up and when I went to look back down, it was gone. It was gone. Like so the screen was gone. Like the, the, the screen, the, the, it, there was like some gray spot in front of me. Oh, wow. And so what was happening was I was losing the central portion of my vision and so it's kind of, you know, pick your battles, you know, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'll just keep looking ahead and trying to see as much as I can. So I talked to my doctor and there was some other, you know, of course, driving issues. Um, there were some other changes, but they were so much more evident because I was so active. Mm-hmm. And so I found a retina specialist who happens to be a triathlete. So I knew he would understand and I could explain about the computer or turning my head to, you know, sight for a buoy when you're swimming in open water and then putting your head back down in the water or picking your head up to sight and not seeing anything. Like the sun was always in my eyes. It was always a blind spot. You're like, these goggles are not working. (laughs) Correct. Never were working. But we started a treatment where I had some injections and it was to slow the progression. So I did that and we would time like when I would get my injections so that I would have the best available vision when I was racing. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know this is, cr- I know. No, I totally, another, I totally get it. Right. Only another athlete would treat you this way. So I would see him every month and I'd have these injections and, you know, it's an open wound in your eye. So we had to make sure um, things were healed before I went to races. So we're moving along. Four years has come and it's up and down. We're not quite sure. And I go to Hawaii 70.3. I'm on the big island. Isn't life wonderful? However, the day before the race, I, oh, and I was, I had one eye better than the other. So I was able to put a contact in mm-hmm. and use that as my main eye. <laughs> wow. And I went into the bathroom in Hawaii the day before the race. And for the first time in my life, I could not see myself in the mirror. Oh my goodness. Nor could I find my contact, obviously. Um, and I did travel with somebody because I knew that it was going to be hard to drive on the big island. I was still driving in 2010. So my friend is staying in it, you know, she's in the other room and I'm screaming. I can't see. Uh, you have to come in here. I can't see. And so uh, unfortunately declines happen and I knew it would happen, but you don't expect that it would happen the day that 
you're getting ready to do a race. When you a, say, an epic, you know, event. When you say you couldn't see yourself, what what does that mean? Like what what could you see? Was it was it shadows? Just, was it light? What what was I it? I just saw a shadow, like my silhouette. I see oh, wow. life in so everybody's a silhouette to me. I don't know what people look like. We I take and it, and if people look at me at, or they look at any of my Instagram. I, I do tons of selfies and I do selfies with other people uh-huh. and I take pictures of people and I tell them, this is the only way I can know what you look like because it's framed in my phone or on the computer. And then I enlarge it and then I can find it in my field of vision. Oh, so wow. It's just okay. a little way that I have learned to know what people look like. So your condition's macular degeneration, correct? It's it's a form of macular degeneration. Yeah, right now it's it's termed uh, parafoveal telectasia. Um, fancy word for there's a um, interruption of a blood flow going to my eyes. Okay. So it kind of has a cardiovascular component, which is kind of interesting when you're an endurance athlete and basically your eyes are not. And it's like a malformation. I didn't. You know, I don't know that I was born this way or, I mean, there are a couple of different theories. One doctor blames it on the fact that I've swam in so many dirty places that I probably ruined my eyes. And, oh, really? You know, I still wouldn't change that. Oh, yeah, because right. I've been everywhere. Everyone's looked at my eyes. Um, but, yeah, so 2010, I'll get back to that real quick. Oh, sorry. I actually sat with the race director the day before and Jimmy Riccatello. And crying, race director crying, my friends crying. Um, how do I do this? I still want to do the race, but can my friend help me? Now I'm still on, you know, my own tri bike, and I said the only I know that I can follow other people in the water. I know I without drafting, I can follow the blobs, as I would call it. I'll just follow the blobs on the bike, and then the run will be easy because I'll have voices and. It's a two-loop uh, golf course kind of swim. I can't get lost, and I won't hurt anybody. And we worked it out that my friend volunteered. She had to stay in the transition area the whole day, T1, T2. Uh-huh. And if she saw me, she could verbally cue me and help me get to my my transition. She didn't help me. I put my own clothes on, helmet, shoes, and went out. But I truly was swimming. I, I didn't know if I was following people or a turtle and <laughs> I would just yell out, you know, am I going the right way? You know? um, but I did it. I made the, the cutoff time. I followed the blobs on the bike, um, met some people on the run and basically said, I'm having trouble seeing, uh, is that a water stop coming up? And you know, I got through it. Wow. It was not the most fun race I've ever had, nor, you know, clock time, but it definitely proved to me that given a little bit more time, I could figure out how to do this. What was going through your head emotionally? Obviously, you're a very stubborn person. I can can get that. But what was (laughs) going through your head? I mean, obviously, that was a big step in the degeneration of your vision. Like mentally, where were you that day? Um... On the bike, I would say I was scared. Uh, I was, you know, worried about hurting other people, um, worried about hurting myself, uh, questioning, constantly questioning, am I doing the right thing? It's almost like having an injury during, you know, go, doing a race and saying, if I keep going, am I making this worse or um, will it feel better in a couple minutes? And I just kept saying, you know, it's almost like the little train that could just keep going, keep going, keep going. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe today will, maybe it's, this is temporary, um, which, you know, I've had up and down days. So maybe this is just, unfortunately you're at a race and it's a bad vision day, um, which would not prove to just be a bad vision day. It was the change of my vision. That was, Um, that was the change. Yep. You know, I think it was May or June, 2010. So what happened after the race? How did, um, life, how did life change for you? Well, 
then I had to come home and sit with the doctors again. And we talked about, I still continued doing the shots a little bit more. My training changed a lot. Um, I, I was intimidated, you know, cause I never knew when, where I'd be when I would see less. So I started doing less training alone. My biking where I used to just leave my house and, you know, go bike for hours now became my friends who were also training for races. We would go to a paved trail, like a rails to trail. Mm-hmm. And even though they were going, you know, 80 miles, I we had a section where they would drop me off and I would go back and forth. It was a 10 miles up to the next traffic light, which I didn't cross streets on the bike by myself. And so we would agree, okay, I'll meet you back in four hours or five hours. And I would go back and forth, back and forth. A oh. um, lot of indoor bike training rides. Swimming is really not a problem. I still can relatively see the black line on the pool. Uh, open water swims. I um, stopped doing open water swims for a while. And then um, foolishly, uh, in 2011, Ironman Texas was announced and I said, well, I'm going to do Ironman Texas and kept training what I just described, doing long bike rides, just back and forth and training and uh, long runs. I I did sidewalk runs up up to 22 miles where I would leave my house and just follow the sidewalk. If it made a right, I made it right. Just so I didn't cross streets. Right. And I would just go out for hours and come back and I couldn't see my watch. So when I came back, you download the Garmin and it tells you, Oh, you just ran 22 <laughs> miles. So I'm like, okay, I'm doing good. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Um, You're like, surprise. 22 surprise, miles. I'm back. You know, I, I couldn't tell you who like, I saw. <laughs> mine would be more like surprise. You did too. What in the world? <laughs> go back to the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So wait, yeah. what number so what number Ironman was that? You said you've done five, right? Okay, so Texas would have been one, two, okay. Uh Ironman number four. But number the four. first one. Number four. So I did ninety five, ninety six, ninety nine. And then I came out of Iron Retirement for Ironman Texas because it was a new race. Mm-hmm. That's how I justified it. Right. I must do it. It's new. (laughs) Right. But right before, and I mean right before, we're talking weeks before, my doctor told me there's absolutely no way I should be doing that race by myself. Right. Of course, it was longer than a half and started my journey of how do people do this when they're visually impaired? So... Actually, if you look up anything about 2011 in Texas, um, Patricia Walsh, Brandon Adami, and I, and um, I forget his name, there were six of us. My first experience, I have no clue what I'm doing. I had to make (laughs) phone calls. I didn't have a tandem. Right. I don't, they say you get a tandem, you get a tether, you get a guide, and I'm like, oh, Okay. So I'm reading all this and an organization lent me a tandem. Not that it really fit, fit me, but um, we got there. We have a tandem. And so for people um, listening that the, might not know, a tandem is a oh, two-person bike. tandem bicycle. is a two-person bike. I think most people are starting to see more of that now. Yeah. Um, but yes, good point. Um And basically I, you know, I run in a community, I live in St. Petersburg, so we're a big community of athletes. I put something out on Facebook, made a few phone calls, said, anybody want to try and do this triathlon, you know, Ironman with me? Um, This is how we're going to do it. And a very good friend uh, for years and a very seasoned triathlete, Laura Drake Cole, um, said, sure, I'll do it with you. She'd just done an Ironman like two weeks before. Um, so off we went to Texas. And Wait, so how many no weeks clue. before you went to Texas was this? I know you said it was a short period. How, <laughs> how, how many well, weeks? <laughs> well, I'm going to say there wasn't more than four because I oh had to make goodness. the plane reservation. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And we had not trained together. 
I just gave her information. This is what they told us we'll do. And then we flew to Texas and somebody had mailed me this tether you're supposed to use. Um, so we did a warm up swim the day before. <laughs> we tried to get fit as best we could on the tandem. So you had we not took ridden a ride. with her on the bike until the day before? No, I'd never been on a tandem. She had never been on a tandem. Oh my goodness. I love it. Yeah. It was like we shook it for practice. We went out like a mile. And I'm like, oh, I don't even want to be on this bike until I have to. <laughs> and she said, I don't blame you. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. When you pick a guide um, to help you, somebody who is a seasoned an athlete and confident. I mean, we've talked about it many years later, how scared we both were. But none of us, neither of us said it out loud. So if you don't say it out loud, it's not real. Right. But I would have to say to her, um, you know, on the bike, like, what's that noise? Don't worry. Uh, wh- where are we going? Don't worry. Um, why are we slowing down? Don't worry. We had been stopped in traffic and she was weaving in and out. Just bike handling skills were awesome. And she is, will tell you to this day, neither of us knew what we were doing. That's incredible. What did it feel but like? we did it. What did it feel like to do an Ironman bike course for the first time? <laughs> riding tandem. I mean, someone weaving. Were you thinking <laughs> I'm going to die? Today's the day no, I die. No. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no, because she was so confident. She really was she made the difference. I mean, uh, I be, and the, you know what the other athletes that were out there were so encouraging and the fact that there were a few of us other visually impaired blind athletes that were there um some with a little more experience than I was. So, you know, at least the day before when I got to meet, you know, we were putting our bikes in a transition area and you're, oh, so you're, you know, you're Patricia Walsh and, you know, Brandon Adami and, you know, I've never done, although I probably have done more triathlons than they had. They had more experience doing the visually impaired uh, method. So I was like the the newbie, like, well, how's this? How do you do this? How do you do? And they were awesome. So, wow. it was, you know, the, the one takeaway that I got from it, again, that when I, I, I know people describe me, I'm very humble. Um, I was very upset during the run. It was a three loop run. And I would hear people say, oh, here comes another blind person. Here comes that blind lady. And I would say to my, Laura, who was my guide, I'd say, I wish they wouldn't say that. You know, two years ago or last year or the five people ahead of me who went by and who are working just as hard, they weren't cheering for them. Why yeah. are they cheering so much for me? And it, would, it was making me angry. I didn't want to be singled out. I didn't want to be the blind lady. And um, the best advice she gave me, and I just raced with her last two years ago, um, was, you know, Diane, sometimes the spectators, what they see is not about you. It's about them. They're sitting there thinking, one, they would never do this, let alone do it without vision. So stop making it all about you and just accept that people will, it will draw attention and you need to just suck it up. That's really good advice, I guess. I mean, I, I, I yes. imagine I can see myself. And of course, you don't know how you would be in any situation until you're in it. But I right. can, I totally understand that. Um, yeah. How that would because you're like, you know, three years ago, I was just out here racing like everyone else. Right. And now there's like, exactly still me. Um, so I get and that. And I still feel that way. I still feel that way. Sometimes I'm like, why do they pay so much attention to me? I, I'm I'm no different than anybody else, but I do understand I am different because many people would not continue to do this. Well, I continue I know, to work. My my peers say that about work. Why do you yeah. still work? I don't know. Why not? Right. Well, I know what I see yeah. when I see someone who's different or with a disability. I, I just yeah. am so in awe mm-hmm. of how much harder I, I perceive triathlon to be and know, it is. With, with a missing limb. And I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah. And, and I know, especially when I'm out there racing, cause I, yeah. I did, I don't know which race it was, but it was an Ironman and there was a visually impaired, um, r- racer and a guide and she blew by me. And, <laughs> and I was just thinking, okay, I'm dying here. I, I think I might not finish. And there they go. <laughs> and I, I just always look at it like, yeah. Wow. How much harder it is to get to the start line being visually impaired or with a disability, and let alone. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of what you cringe at is more yeah. like mad respect and props. Know. You know, people are like, man, this is hard. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, but I get it. You just want to go race. Yeah. I do. And, and, and again, because of having guides and tandem bikes and tethers, I'm still, I'm still able to do it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, the cost factor is twice. Um, our equipment is a little bit more expensive. You know, a tandem bike is a little bit more money. Uh, transporting it. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of stress to race, um, which I, I won't elaborate on all the stress, but it's not all physical. It's financial. And, you know, now there's two people. And there's two personalities. And no two people are going to be the same as you know, racing, you can run next to somebody at, during mile seven of an event and you're feeling great and they're feeling horrible, but see them at mile 13 and this situation could be reversed. Well, now you have a guide. Who's to say that the two of you are going to feel the same <laughs> at the same time. Right. So that adds that other little element into racing, especially the, the especially in Ironman distance. Which is one of the reasons why, well, one, I'm not getting any better at it. And it, it's to have somebody stay out there. I, and I hate to even say that out loud, but to have somebody stay out there that long with me, I'm a 15, 16 hour Ironman now. So I don't even want to be out there that long, let alone <laughs> have somebody me. put up with you me. You and I should pair up. That's my times. <laughs> I'm Iron Man retired. That's what you say, Diane. That's what you say. I know. Well, they'll announce a new one. Or right. You'll they'll call me one day one. and say, okay, I'm ready to guide you. Yes. Um, I would totally do maybe, it. We go the same pace. Come on. Let's do it. Watch what you wish for, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or I should say that. Oh, watch what I wish for. I always say I have to watch what goes into my head because I get these thoughts and then all of a sudden I'm looking for a race. Um yeah. So, but yes. Well, I just, I did Marine Corps marathon a couple weeks ago as a, as a wheelchair pusher. And um, I I thought what was so interesting about that. And I just, I wrote an article about it that hasn't been published yet, but it was the, the being, you know, the pusher. And I imagine it's the same thing as being a guide for someone, you get to a point where you're like, this has nothing to do with me. This is all about my partner. And I, yep. I really, I had a really tough day out there, but it was never yeah. about me. And I really yeah. enjoyed that. <laughs> I really yeah. enjoyed feeling like how I felt didn't matter, how we had a job yep. to do. And, and I was really grateful for that break yeah. in my mental racing because I've been really hard on myself for the last couple of years. And, and I thought it was such an amazing gift to be able to be a part of that. So, um, Talk about your a lot of my guides, yeah, and 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 that's what I was going to say. You know, the people who guide and exactly what you just did, supporting somebody have, and they've all been seasoned athletes. I always say they're younger and fitter than I am. Um, So, I mean, for them to put aside their pace, which has got to be a little bit more painful if you're fast, change their cadence. Um, and just cater to me for, you know, 15, 16 hours. Well, and, and there's even more than that because it's helping me the day before it's helping me, you know, all of it. Right. It's it, it and I, I don't really want to compare myself to having a child, but it is having that person that you are so responsible for me. Yeah. And yeah, that's exactly that, that's what it's big shoulders. Like. That's big shoulders. And to not, um, you know, verbalize that, oh, you know, my ankle's killing me or I'm, I need to do this for me. None of my guides over the years, again, from 2011 up until now, 
have ever verbalized anything negative, which unlike me, I'm the one who's always saying, I try not to, but, um, where are we now on the bike? How many, <laughs> can you change? Can I get off? Can I eat? Can I? And, and that's why I always, oh my gosh, I'm like the child in the back seat when I'm on the tandem. See, Diane, I think this is perfect. I'm a mom. (laughs) I go about 15 to 16 hours. I can feed you crackers or something from the front seat. We'd have a great time. (laughs) Right. I I think you even know how to, like, take that one hand back and do that little tap, and which kind of is that cue to shut up. Um, (laughs) But, you know, and I might be that person without a guy, you know, I'm, right. I might always be a little bit whiny. Um, I don't complain as much anymore as you know what probably our next topic will be as once you get that slap in your face of reality, uh, nothing bothers me anymore. I, right. I very rarely speak negative anymore. I've, I've been given the gift of life. So um, I, I feel like I'm living the dream right now. So. <laughs> So you want to get is, on that topic? <laughs> yeah, and I, I do, but I want to bump back to the guys yeah. real quick before okay. I, I yeah. lose it because I, I feel awesome. like, um, how do you how do you pick your guides? Is it a mutual thing? I mean, do you just take whoever's willing? Like, how does that work? <laughs> well, again, because I've been involved in the sport so long, I have incredible friends, and I just really I ask friends. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Hey, do you want to do this? The most incredible, again, Laura, uh, she's Laura Drake. Um, she just did Kona. I mean, we did Kona in 1996. We used to be neighbors. Um, so basically I just keep, you know, my friendships are longstanding in the athlete world and who wouldn't help fellow athlete. Yeah. Um, but probably the latest, greatest gift that I have had um, is Malia Tumalo, if I'm allowed to like name drop. Yeah, uh, sure. M- okay. So when I found out that I was going to go, actually, there's two names. Uh, back in 2012, there weren't as many blind and visually impaired people as there are now. And I always said... You know, the pool's pretty thin when a 50-some-year-old is your national and world champion. That was me. <laughs> no, don't say that. See, you're But too it old. was. I know. But. Well, what did, yeah, so in 2013, um, and I won't mention who my coach was, but I had asked, well, I qualified for worlds and nationals and worlds and I'm going to London, I have no clue, I'm going to represent the United States. So back in that day, they had uh, a blind division and a vision impaired division. And there were only two of us, mm-hmm. Patricia Walsh, who was blind, and Diane Barbarian, who was visually impaired. Um, and we are not in age groups when you're disabled. Interesting. So I think I knew I that, 50. but I don't know that I did. <laughs> yeah. So okay. 50 some years old, I, so I call my coach and I'm like, um, I've gone to London, I'm representing the United States and, um, I, I'm going to need a guide, you know, I mean like a, a really badass chick, you know, <laughs> and it has to be a female. Uh-huh. Um, so who do you have, you know, what shall we do? And so he connected me that year. Few people, um, couldn't take the time off and go to London, um, and I met Dina Griffin, and I don't know if you know uh, Dina. Wait, Dina Griffin. Yes, Dina and I. Right? Yes, Dina and I worked okay, together. Okay, that's right. You worked <laughs> together. Correct. Yes. I know. So do you see how the world, how oh the universe revolves? She has never mentioned this. She is. She's another oh. humble one. Correct. Well, if you look <laughs> at something, I, I think she just didn't she do a podcast with you? Yeah. And there's a picture of Dina and I in those USA. We, we're making muscles, which is just are like one moment of being frivolous and having fun before we had to be serious. But yes, so Dina went with me. Um, Never met her before. Flew her into Florida the day before. Somebody else showed her how to ride a tandem. And off we went to London. And Dina and I um, represented the United States. (laughs) 
That is so cool. And I can't believe I didn't know that about Dina. And that just Dina makes Gretchen. me love her and love you yep. even more. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. So and now I'm going to call her and get off awesome the phone with guest. you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Dina Griffin was a guest. Then, of course, so when you ask, how do I pick? So bring back uh, the other point I brought out about the cost and flying your guides. And so then I decided I'm going to do one more Ironman um, in 2013. And I like beach to battleship uh-huh. in Wilmington, North Carolina. So I call my coach, Hey, do you know any athletes that live in Wilmington? It would be so much easier. They know the course they live there. I don't, I'll just transport me and my bike and life will be wonderful. So he introduces me to, she doesn't do long distance. I don't know. You'll have to ask. Malia Tumalo. So Malia Tumalo ends up doing her first iron distance race as a guide with me. Wow. Trained. We both never met her before. She got in the car, drove to Florida from Wilmington. We hit it off. We, we, again, still very similar scenario. I'll have, you know, somebody will try and teach you. I'll teach you how to use the tandem. Um, and she hated my bike. <laughs> she hated long distance. But the two of us, we're still, she's my coach now. Make that story. Um, she'd never done, never wanted to. But the idea of helping another athlete, see, again, that's yeah. what makes a good guide. That yep. person who steps in. Gave it all up for me. Um, and so we do our first Ironman. She does her first Ironman with me, which is awesome because it ends up being the same date, October, whatever, as my Hawaii race in 1996. She felt that like the universe, this is meant to be, this is, however, she says to me, no way. I'm right. We used to call my, my old tandem, the beast. It was heavy. It was horrible, but it fit my budget and I was willing to do it. So she got the community in Wilmington to buy me a new bike. So that's wow. how I have a new tandem Cannondale. And I went to Wilmington to train with her. And she says, we're going to a bike shop and you're going to do a presentation about biking and, you know, how to train what we're doing. And they pull out this bike and I'm like, well, yeah, this would be nice if it was, you know, but no, <laughs> mine, mine doesn't, doesn't look like this at all. And then they all said, well, this is for you. Oh my goodness. So that's how I got what I, who I recall, I call her Black Betty. So nice. Black Betty is the name of my, so it's, you can't get on that bike without having that song in your head. Right. And that's my cadence is to Black Betty, which, <laughs> you know, ends up working out. But again, so here we are, like you, like Dina, Malia, uh, Laura, so many people are really willing to step up. And basically, if we train together a couple times, uh, I do the training. I tell them this is what I need. And all of us are different. All of our vision impairments are different. I could change during the day. Um, I'm better at this than that. I can swim a straight line, believe it or not. We don't, we don't even know how that happens, but um, I do swim a straight line. Well, but, I don't, so maybe you could guide me on this one. Right. Oh, I, they I'll let me the go way. here. <laughs> yeah, because I, I told people, I swear I could do this myself. So we went out into the Gulf, I think two years ago, um, and we just swam parallel, and there were other swimmers, and I said, just let me swim. And then, you know, Garmin can print out a nice picture, which I have, of my nice straight swim. That's awesome. I did it. But they were all nervous, and they, of course they watched me. They said they watched that Nobody could swim because they were just keeping an eye on me. Right. Again, it's like having a little sister, you know. <laughs> now, did you I, sw- I would rather you say sw- that than a child. <laughs> right. Well, did you swim a straight line before you were visually impaired? Eh, probably. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you got like yeah. spidey sense or superpowers. Well, you do get spidey senses when you start to lose your vision. Talk about that a little bit. So 
I have the most incredible, and this is the only time I use words like that. I have an incredible sense of time and distance. Don't, I can't even explain it. Like I said, I could go out, I could tell you how far into the run we are without seeing my watch. I could pretty much tell you what pace we're running. I could tell you how long we've been somewhere. Um, I, I, I don't even know how to explain that. Um, but I've developed that over the, the years of, of vision changing. That's interesting. And I, that's I how love I, it. That's how I am when I get on the scale. I don't know why I even get on the scale because I know what it's going to say before I step you know exactly on it. What that, I, and I'm yeah. always within like 0.2 of a pound. It's bizarre. Okay. So I'm like, yeah. why do I even do this to myself? And I love it when I know that it's about to be like way heavy. And I'm like, okay, I'm about to hate myself. So let's get on the scale. It's like, if I can predict this, why am I doing it? <laughs> right, right. You just That's put funny. the piece of tape over it. Yeah. Like we, I used to, and I've coached. So I used to have to tell athletes, cover your watch. Just go out and run and, and be happy. Um, I, and, and that's how I feel about it still about running and swimming, not so about the bike. Um, no. no, no, I don't like being, if I may use the B word. Yeah. Go bitch. ahead. It's, yeah. Okay. I don't like being the bitch in the back because <laughs> when I get on the back of the tandem, I am truly that horrible woman. I'm, I, I want, I have no control back there. Yeah. I, and, and I can change my bike to put the, the gears in the back. So I'm the one changing them. But, you know, I'm constantly saying, what was that? Who, what they say? Where are we? Are we past this? Can I do this? Is right. it time to eat? Can I eat now? Can we coast? No, you can't coast. We're climbing a hill. Oh, um, <laughs> is that the wind or am I getting weaker? You know, and it's constant. Right. And it's like the little child in me comes out when I sit on the back of a tandem. That's funny. No, I don't I totally enjoy it anymore. It. I totally yeah, get it. I, I would don't never enjoy ride it. a motorcycle. I won't ride in your sidecar. Right. I won't do that by choice. Yeah. I, I get it. Mm -mm. So yeah. what I found was this great new sport of swim run. Okay. And everyone <laughs> is tethered. Everyone's tethered. It's a two-person event. Really? So I yeah. don't know about this. Oh my gosh! Please look it up. There's a swim run. I went to Portland, Maine. Um, again, I I just do what I do. And actually, my great nephew—not a nephew, a great nephew—actually guided me. That's cool. And we looked like every. I called the race director. Are you okay? I'm visually impaired. Blah blah blah. Bring it on. And we didn't tell anybody. So it was like a well, race with all we your had people. To. Right. I'm like, they can't tell. I don't have a sign on my back that says blind. Nobody said guide. We didn't use those terms. Um, but there was a section, and I, I, I won't get into it, but it required you to have a lot more sight. <laughs> so he had to really, really dig deep and give me a lot of verbal cues to tell me where to put my hands and feet. We were basically climbing rocks on an island, which is awesome. And the whole time I'm going, oh, my God, this is awesome. This is so hard. It's awesome. It was, you know, it was just a new challenge. And I, it, it's incredible. Uh, so we're, we're, we're doing that. That's my thing now, swim run and running. I love that. But there is how, no biking. How can, what kind of cues does someone give you to where to climb up a rock? Like, how does your right. guide? Yeah. Well, I use a clock. So oh, okay. whatever I'm facing, we use clock. So uh, left hand 10, right hand 2, or, you know, I know it, it, and think about that. That's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And it's a lot of processing for me because I have to hear it, do it, finish it. And then in between that, he's getting ready to tell me what's next. So it, it's, again, fascinates me. I, yeah. I, I feel sheer joy in that challenge, even though I wasn't good at it, but it was good. But that's the story of many of our lives in endurance sports. Exactly. I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, I find so much right. joy in the sport. I suck at it. <laughs> right. But it's the journey and yeah. it's not knowing what's next. 
you know, again, anything endurance, I always say, I keep going because I have a feeling up up there feels better. You know, moving forward feels better. There's a good chance this won't hurt up there. And by then I've already complained about something else, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole time we're doing it, it the, the bigger problems of the world are never even in our, our focus. It's like what's right now. And that's what I love about it. It's, I don't have vision, but it keeps me present. You know, it just keeps me thinking of what's five feet in front of me, which is my field of vision. I only have five feet. So I I don't even worry about, you know, what's 10 feet away or the next mile. It's we'll, we'll deal with it when we get there. And that's how I deal with my life. I'll deal with it when I get there. And life has forced me to, to, to learn that journey, which is what I, I, I always say. I think, I, I must have been meant to have, have vision loss because it's been an incredible journey for me. Um, yes, did I have the stages of grief? You know, yes, I mourned the loss. I, I had to give up my driving in 2011. Um, you know, I, I mourned some of those losses, but five feet down the road, a mile down the road, so many other doors have been opened. Mm-hmm. And I keep counting my gifts. Every every day I have a new gift. It's incredible. That's why I, I always I sound like an idiot sometimes. I, I I live this incredible life, and I know people would not look at a vision impaired person or a person who had stage four cancer last year as somebody with an incredible life. Wait, but you had stage four I do. cancer, right? Wait, but I, I do. Didn't... Okay, let's let's talk about that small little <laughs> detail, Diane. Yeah, so I am okay. a cancer survivor. Wow. And what a timely November conversation because November 3rd last year, I, as I say, I heard the words nobody wants to hear. You have cancer. And again, I will tell you that from January of 2016 until November 3rd, I trained, I raced, and I worked. I kept going to the doctor and saying something doesn't feel right, and I won't get into all the, you know, how many doctors looked at me and how many tests, and nobody knew. Although, I, again, when I ended up with this big lump on my neck, which was a visible sign that something was wrong. It was finally revealed. Um, so on November 3rd, I had a, um, a biopsy of my throat and it, I was found out that I had cancer. And what were some of the symptoms you had though? That or you said you just didn't feel right. I mean, I, I think it's always good to talk about that kind of stuff, especially okay. on a podcast. Cause you know, you just okay. never know when someone's listening and then they experience yeah. it. And well, you know, and so. I, you know, again, I've always said that I'll tell anybody. Um, and the, and the first thing, again, as an athlete, we are so in tune to our bodies. And I, I started actually in 2015 um, I DNF'd in an open water swim event and I remembered and I did it in Wilmington and I was with my coach and I said to her, I, I don't even know how to explain how I feel. I keep going to the doctor and telling them that I don't feel right. I don't feel like myself. I don't feel right. Um, I don't think the same. And of course, when you're 58 years old, they say, well, you know, it's aging, it's menopause, it's hormonal. Okay. Now I will tell you, because we race so much and we log everything and we're, you know, I I don't want to say we're hyper-focused on our bodies, but I might've been hyper-focused, but I'm glad. (laughs) So in January, I went to Jacksonville Marathon as a, um, to hopefully qualify for Boston. And so we're in Jacksonville and I'm with my guide and I tell her that I've been having this weird sensation in my tongue. I'm still eating, uh, but I, every time I put, it, it didn't matter, spoon, fork, toothbrush, I get a weird sensation and then it goes away. So 
we went somewhere and I got um, like a homeopathic. Well, it didn't help. And so we did the marathon. Yes, I qualified for Boston. And I kept training, but I kept, again, reporting and going to the doctor because I had an earache. Well, you know, you swim a lot. It's chronic ear infection. Okay, well, why why can't it go away? I mean, it's not right. going away. Right. You tell me, okay, don't swim. I still have it. Well, it's chronic. You're going to have it. Okay. Well, then I'm going to swim. So I use earplugs. <laughs> still have it. Don't swim, swim, earplugs, still have it. Right. So the months are going along, and I'm now starting to do this throat clearing thing, this <laughs> habit. So I go to the doctor. Oh, and did I mention that I'm losing weight? I'm old. Old people don't lose weight. I work in a nursing home. When the elderly people lose weight, it's because something's wrong. There's a disease. And so I keep going to the doctor. Well, you know, you're probably not eating as much. No, really, I'm eating. I eat a pizza every week by myself. (laughs) I like to drink beer. I've not changed anything. Months are going by. I'm losing weight. I'm doing this throat clearing. Um, I go to ENT and he says to me, oh, you have a tonsil. That was during the summer. So now we're talking January to June. And I said, I don't have tonsils. They were removed when I was 11. Oh, so my goodness. My, my, and I'm a physical therapist assistant, so I'm allied health. You know, I'm used to being with medical people. And I said to him, well, if you see something there, I can tell you it doesn't belong there. So let's do a biopsy. And he says, no, we'll do the biopsy when I take the tonsil out. Oh, my goodness. So, yes. Now, this is where I will blame myself for not having second and third opinions. I said to him, well, I have a pretty full training schedule. I mean, a racing schedule. I race like 32 times a year, you know. Uh-huh. So that was June. I said to him, well, I got this swim run in August, and a uh, half marathon, uh, another uh, swim run. And I give him this whole list. I pull out my calendar and I say to him, okay, I'll let you remove that tonsil um, November after November 12th. That's my last race. I says, okay, so we make plans. So October, and I'm still doing like clearing my throat. Uh I still have the earache and I'm just putting up with it. He's saying to me, do you want something for the pain? No, I'm an athlete. I'm used to being uncomfortable. I can do this. And so by the time it was, so it's October now, I am now in Boston. I ran the Boston half marathon, um, the pain, and it, it was horrible. I mean, I had still had a good race, but I kept saying to my guide that um, I wish I could, you know, I'm doing this throat clearing, you know, mm-hmm. I always feel like something's stuck in my throat. Can't wait till they remove that next month. Um, but the pain was becoming more uncomfortable and my head was hurting. And uh, I still got, I didn't sleep that night, but I got up the next day and I ran the Tufts women's 10 K on Monday. Oh my goodness. And I, <laughs> yes, I know. I'm a, I, I, people say it, what a fool, but um, this is, no, what I just think you're fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but so when I flew home, I, I really could not hold, I was actually holding my head with my hands on the plane. Oh my goodness. And it, I was in so much pain. And so I called the ENT and I go in and I said to him, I can't take this anymore. I can't take the pain. Okay. I'll take something for pain now. And he said to me, well, when did you get the lump on your neck? And I said, Oh, that's, that's my muscles, you know, physical therapy. Uh, that's muscle guarding. You know, my muscles are sore. So my neck's, you know, it's really tight. He says, uh, I'm going to send you for an MRI. Well, the MRI revealed that I had a mass now in my neck, not to mention the tonsil in my throat. Right. So it came back that I had, I think, a four millimeter mass in my neck. And then I had to go on for a PET scan. So when I had the PET scan November 3rd, 
I found out that I had tongue, throat, neck, and lymph nodes. It spread to lymph nodes. So spread is the key word. Where it started, uh, probably the throat, but it spread to my tongue. Or did it start in my tongue? They don't know. Um, But on November 3rd, 2017, no, it's the 17th, 16th, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Wow. And had chemo and radiation, which started um, the end of December, went through the end of January, had chemo and radiation, um, had to be fed by a tube. I was tube fed, so I had to have uh, surgically uh, a tube put into my stomach because I wouldn't be able to swallow um, I had a port put in for my chemo and by, so I ended treatment the end of January. And of course there were tons of other side effects, which would take yet another podcast to explain that I still have. Um, but I slowly started to get back to walking. I tried to walk while I was sick, but, um, it was ugly. And by April, I walked across the room uh, about an hour after I just told a coworker, I'm strong enough to come back to work. I'm going to think about that. Um, a bone broke in my foot because my uh, vitamin D was depleted from chemo. And I ended up May 5th of this year having my fibula repaired with titanium and H screws. So I'm back to work. Uh, I found out in May that I'm cancer-free. Wow. Uh, But then I had to rehab the ankle. So now I'm just getting back to running, swimming, uh, working out, and getting ready to race again. My goodness. I didn't see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) What else you got? What other tricks you got, Diane? (laughs) Well, I will tell you, during all this excitement, uh, right before I broke the ankle, I did go to Boston because I was qualified for the marathon. Um, but I ran the 5K, and I got to just name drop because she's my idol. Um, Karen Smyers agreed to guide me, and we oh, did the awesome. uh, Boston 5K together. That's really cool. Because somebody who knows Karen told her the story about, I always say, gotta want it, which when Karen uh, did an interview back in the nineties and I've met her before she's raced here in St. Pete. Um, she doesn't remember, but I showed her the picture. This is me and you in the nineties, which is kind of funny. Um, but so, so we got in touch with each other and she agreed. I was not healthy enough to run <laughs> and she was gracious enough to walk the 5k with me. That's cool. And now we have matching bracelets, um, that say God, I want it. I, I love it. One. I, I said, I wear it. mine every day. I don't think she does, but that's okay. <laughs> but yeah. So again, had I not gone through all this, I would have never raced with Karen Smyers. Um, had I not raced so much, my doctor probably would have never found my cancer. <laughs> I would have said it was still this uh, muscle in my neck. Um, so yes, this is my life now. So, yes, I'm back to training. I'm up to uh, about four miles of running, 2,000 yards of swimming, um, working. I'm back to work full time, almost 40 hours a week. I'm back to life, my real life. How do you stay so positive? I know you say you focus on what's five feet in front of you. and Yep. But there had, you know, there had to be a point where you were just like, I mean, how do you overcome that? Because, I mean, we hear people all the time who have, like, far less difficulties and complaining about everything and crappy attitudes. And then we hear your story, and it's just incredible. I mean, mm. I know you don't want to say it's incredible, but it is. And and yeah. you're positive. I mean, you may grumble on the back of a bike, but. Correct. <laughs> yes. What, I don't I mean, know. Did you, I were you, uh-huh. were you a positive person beforehand or did you kind of, was it something you had to kind of grow into? No, I think I've always been. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I'll give a little credit to my mother. 
she's passed, but my mother, we watched her raise, my dad passed away when I was 11. My mother was, I think, 50 years old then. She was a lot older. I have, I'm the youngest of five. Um, my mother never showed us, and of course, now you know that you're an adult, you know how stressful it must have been to raise three girls, um, not be an educated woman with a career. And she raised us basically on social security, but she taught us to be, you know, independent. She showed us how to really appreciate the simple things in life. We didn't, she always said, no, you're not going to have a, you know, a closet full of clothes like your friends and tons of shoes, but you'll have, you know, good school shoes, good church shoes, good dress clothes, good school clothes. Um, you'll go to good schools. You will get your education. But her thing was, you can have whatever you want. You just have to get it yourself. She couldn't do it for us. Oh, I love that. Very, right. And, you know, she wasn't mean about it. And some people go like, wow, that was kind oh, of tough. I love it. That was That's coming harsh. into my house. <laughs> my kids are going to hear right. that tonight. <laughs> and and she was very polite. My mother was a very kind woman yeah. and very loving. And she taught us that what was quality was time, time spent with people, time. She was kind. And I I always say, I I hope I'm half of the woman. And I, you know, sometimes things will happen in social media and people will remind me, but like, oh my gosh, your mom was this awesome woman. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's where I get it from. And my <laughs> sisters before me are yeah. incredible women in their own rights with their families. I'm the only athlete. Um, but, you know, I don't want to say that I wanted to please her, but even though she's not even here, I still think sometimes that, and I have an arrow on my hand, I finish races. And if you look at any of the pictures on Facebook, I always point, I have uh, my left hand always points to the sky. So on the back of my hand, there's an arrow and Uh I pay her tribute. I I am the woman that she wanted me to be. Well, it sounds sounds like she she taught you self-sufficiency and and drive your own dreams from an early age. And that's so lacking in the parenting culture, especially now. And so that, I really love that. If you want that, you'll have to get it yourself. Right. So what's negative? I mean, the the only time that you're going to create something negative is when you don't do it. So (laughs) I, if I want something, I do it. I set a goal. I do it. And the journey, I mean, you know, it's like the dash, everything that happens in between is incredible. The good, the bad. I mean, I was tired at work yesterday. Yes, but I was at work. I, I was I'm providing a gift. I, I have a gift. I'm a physical therapist assistant. It's a gift. I give it. So it's like a guide. I think about that when I go to work. I give to my patients what my guides give to me. And it gives me a reason to go every day. I think it's wonderful. And I think you're wonderful. And I really appreciate you you taking time to share your story. I know. Well, no, I feel incredible. I hope my swim, I'm going to go swim now and uh, (laughs) try and stay on this little wave of, of like loving Diane. (laughs) Yeah. Go love Diane. Yes. So (laughs) in closing, I I guess we'll close now. Um, I turned 60 in January. And one of the things that I, you know, I don't really care that I have lines on. I don't wear makeup and I have crazy hairstyles. I don't really care because uh, I don't comb my hair and I wear hats and when they let me. But I refuse to be that person who squeals when they go, oh, I can't believe I'm going to be 60. So I'm redefining 60 as 6.0. So oh, I love it. You know, Next year, which will be an incredibly different year, even though I've made it through 2017, quite a crazy journey of, you know, chemo and radiation and fractures. And um, so I will now be referred to as Diane 6.0, the new version. It's awesome. Well, I hope you have a wonderful 6.0. 
And I'm going to. You're so cool. Well, have a great That's swim. Plan. And we will talk I will. to you soon. Well, we're going to have to talk probably in the next year or so because you're going to have to guide me now. I know. This I is how it all happens. This is how it happens. I better get my, well, you know, good. the good news for you is I'm, I'm, I'm training. So, you mm-hmm. know, whenever you're ready, just put me in coach. Let's go do this. All right. Well, <laughs> maybe we'll do now, a swim run. And then you're going to call me. I'm going to go. Oh, no. Oh, oh, remember I said that? We'll oh, have no. the podcast to re- re- review. I know. I'm Meredith, like, delete, said, delete. <laughs> check out the swim run stuff. I think you'll I like will. it. I will. Well, thanks, Diane. Have awesome. a great one and happy early birthday. You too, Meredith. Thank you very okay. much. Bye. All right. Bye.